This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We talking about life and life to stream right to you. From the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, cause there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I am your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Great episode today. We have comedian and writer Dan Wilbur on, and there's a show at Halyards that Justina and I have talked about on this podcast, and I've talked about on this podcast That's how we got to know Dan, because he sets that show up and he hosts that show. And it's just right down the street from us. And uh, he's a great guy. And he's been on he was on a show that the Reformed Whores episode three guests, I believe they're episode three of the podcast. He he was on the show that they put on. And I just thought this guy would be a great guest. He's done such great things. So let's chat with him. The thing is, as you see in the bio, I don't get to all of this stuff that he's done. We actually uh, have a great discussion, though, and I don't want to shortchange it at all. It's a really great discussion for anyone who's in comedy or just wants to create stuff. I think there's some really, really great tips that he gives in that. So let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Dan Wilbur. Well, thanks for being here, number one. It's my pleasure. <laughs> I do appreciate you coming. Trip. Yeah, and it's also nice that we are in in person. I don't often get to do them in person. Yes. Yeah. I hate the phone. I hate FaceTime. <laughs> I hate... You name it, I hate it. And uh, so I, I'm very happy to, to come here. Five steps from my... From Halyards, from my show at Halyards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not very far. I've mentioned before, like how great it is that there are these great shows. Like, you know, you've uh, mentioned my show specifically. Yeah, no, I, I like much. I have Thank said uh, that we've gone to Halyards to see your show, Hell and yeah. that we saw these great people <laughs> at it. And it's like, you know, it's a free show. Is the thing. Like, I'm from. I don't, you don't know this. I'm from South Carolina. I moved here mm-hmm. a year ago, uh, last March. So we've cool. been here a year and a few days, and. Um, back home in South Carolina, every once in a while, yeah, I got to see Mike Kaplan there, but um, right. I didn't get to, and it was close by and everything, but it wasn't like this everyday possibility like it is here. Yes, you yeah. Know? Um, it's, a, it's an every hour possibility. Right. To see some some people. Yeah, for and I was specifically even talking like free or 10 but like cheap shows or free shows, and yours was one of the ones that I mentioned. So, yeah. Um, and, and we've seen a ton of I was of joking people. before, but... I know, I, but I, like, literally. <laughs> like literally. Like literally. I was like, you, oh, you better have plugged my show five steps from your house. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's great that it's like so close. And um, you have been here... How long have you been here, actually, in New York? I've been in New York... I graduated from college in 2009 mm-hmm. through the old, you know, folded the... The diploma? I couldn't even think of the word. <laughs> I'm uh, 10 years removed from that. I okay. threw the diploma in the back seat and I drove to Brooklyn and that was in 2009. Okay, cool. So, so you've been in Brooklyn for I've been in Brooklyn some time specifically, now. almost like this section of Brooklyn mm-hmm. for the last nine years. And originally from where were you? I'm from Cleveland. From Cleveland originally. Okay. I thought it was like, yeah, because yeah. you talk about you talk about that in your yes. act. Yes. Um, I started here though. I mean, I started mm-hmm. in college, and then I, I started coming to New York before oh, okay. I even went to 
do an open mic in Cleveland. So oh, cool. I'm actually catching up with Cleveland people. <laughs> the, the, all the things that Cleveland people did before they moved to New York, uh-huh. I'm doing like this year. <laughs> so I feel I've, I've taken a backwards route right. to my hometown. And I talk about this sort of thing at the beginning of every interview, and I'm sure some listeners are like, Jason, uh, you always ask where they're from and how long they've been doing comedy. Why? And the reason is just because there are a ton of things that you've done, and uh, the other people I've been interviewing lately have been doing a ton of things, too, and they've been in the city for a long time, and that's kind of part of it. You know, like, you've been here 10 years. You haven't been doing it two years. Right. You know, (laughs) like, there's some time to it, and it's kind of good to point that out, I think, so people don't feel like it's too much to even try like because there's so many people yes, listening but to this i would movie. i would i would tell as many people as possible to not do it you know <laughs> just to just to st- stop what you do it once and be like man that was great <laughs> do comedy or moving here no doing comedy not move to new york uh absolutely move to new york yeah new york is a great it's so great. I have. Yeah. I, I would say I have no complaints. I have nothing but complaints about New York City. But it's still, I would take it over anywhere else that I've been. I, I, mm-hmm. I imagine moving to New Orleans all the time, but that's because I go to New Orleans for <laughs> vacation. I imagine buying a cabin in the Poconos. But I know every time, I don't know how, many, how often you leave New York since you've been uh, here. Just but a couple times. Every time I go... Since I moved here, I go somewhere and I go, man, it would be nice to have this much space. And, oh, God, could you imagine? And then I go to, like, Target three times in a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I could be here anymore. Yeah. And uh, and then I come back to the Brooklyn Target, you know, and I shop there. <laughs> and, it's so, and it's so it's much a, nicer. So much it's so much dirtier. <laughs> they haven't cleaned the walls of that Target. Anyway. Well, uh, it's nice when you can find uh, the cheap prices at Target, like the back home prices. Yes, At yes. the Brooklyn Target. At the Brooklyn Target. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is as cheap as I it still, is in South Carolina? You know, it's getting more... I know that it's like a problem that it's getting more expensive here, mm-hmm. but I genuinely... Like, I think it's just a taste thing and not mm-hmm. being 22 anymore and eating, uh-huh. eating, uh, I used to, this is all I would eat every day was, ra- uh, not ramen, uh, Annie's shells and cheese. And then I'd put <laughs> like tuna, I would, sp- I would spice it up with tuna, with some tuna and uh-huh. some corn and, uh, put some spices in there. And it was like a, it was a 30 cent meal <laughs> that lasted all day. Yeah. And now... I, I can't tell if Brooklyn, Brooklyn is definitely getting more expensive, like the mm-hmm. price of living, the cost of living here, but also I'm just buying, uh, you know, fancier cheese. So right. That's that's probably the biggest problem with New York is being an unsustainable for a comedian. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's like you want the fancier cheese yeah, once you I mean, eat some of that I mean, fancy on, cheese. You only live once. Yeah, Get robust fancy cheddar. Cheese. But then want. every time I see it, it's, you know... Mm-hmm. It's from Vermont, and I'm like, wouldn't it be great to just live in Who's Vermont to next to this cheese? <laughs> that's what I think about. It. I think that's what that's 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 the. If we're on the subject of why I live here or why do it or why you know, that uh, that that is the fantasy for every New Yorker. It's like I wish I owned a B and B. Yeah. In some other tiny town, it sort of helps that the Whole Foods prices dropped. So there's that. I haven't even been. I can't go there because it's too far away from me. Oh, you're right it there. is. It's yeah, right there it's like right you, down so. the street for me. Yeah, it's like right around Halyard. Yeah. So it's easy for me. Nice. I mean, we're just getting narrowly and narrowly <laughs> closer to telling people your exact address. Listen, that's true. 
Um, <laughs> your one star, your one super fan is going to knock on the door. <laughs> and that on the, I mean, my one super fan lives with me. Um, uh. <laughs> so, well, I will say though about like moving to New York for the comedy. I mean, I, what I have noticed is how much sharper people who've been doing comedy in a place like New York or even Atlanta or Chicago for a long time. Sure. I feel like they're sharper than people who were not in those sort of areas for a long time. Yeah, I would call that capitalism. <laughs> in the in the if you want to really boil it down, it's about like competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that if you want to I mean, the biggest problem in New York is stage time. Yeah. And that requires hanging out and being around a bunch of people who are also desperate to get stage time, who are also adequate comedians when Mm -hmm. they start, usually. Mm -hmm. Because people usually come from another... If you came from South Carolina, Uh, you come from somewhere where you're like, I have have, uh, grown out of this space. Mm -hmm. I will now go to New York. And you're not a... It's not that you suck. Right. It's that you're just not as good as the best, like... I'm going to say there's 30 people that are just, you know, completely out of your league that you see every day. You're just going to see right. them every day. And you're, you're like, that not. person is that person is much funnier than I am. That yeah. person works much harder than I do. And, I, and that's what, you know, of course, everybody who moves to New York and does comedy is real sad. and has to deal with the, uh, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. But the fact that you moved here and you've already done the work, you do have a resume and you came here to get better... And then you're competing with people that are, mm-hmm. you know, you're competing with at least a thousand people that are on your level. Mm-hmm. And then you're competing with like these 30 guys and gals mm-hmm. who are working every club. I'm mean, gonna actually, it's probably more like a hundred, yeah, 50 people. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I walked into a club last night and like entered the back room and it was wall to wall comedians. Like, yeah, it was like a college party of comedians, <laughs> and it was a Sunday. It was the Oscars when this out. Oh, when right, this comes yeah. out, but this was Oscar Sundays. So yeah. people, some people were watching the Oscars in the front, and then there were fifteen people just talking shit in the back in this tiny room. And I was like, there shouldn't be this many good people who weren't even on that show specifically. Right. Only one of them was on that show, and I was on that show, and then everybody else was hanging out from a show previously. And I was like, this room is just All too comics. full of talent. Like, not this room is full of booked comics. Yeah. This room is full of people who were doing and they shows were just here today. Hanging out. Oh, and wow. they were just hanging out. Yeah. yeah. And then they were running to other clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just thinking specifically. I don't know why I said capitalism first, but just that I was talking to someone about it last night. That if you're in a if you're in a small space and you can sell out every week your mm-hmm. show with paid customers, you could end up sitting there forever mm-hmm. and you'd never have to grow because you could just make your rent yeah. on hosting a show and mm-hmm. you could bring people down. I mean, that would help. I mean, that's how mm-hmm. most of it works, right? Is yeah. you feature for famous people at right. one club <laughs> in your town and then you get better because you've talked to the famous people and it inspires you and it's all, it's all very easy and slow. Mm-hmm. It's very and, slow. And it's slower. It's slower it's than much New York slower. where you could ostensibly mm-hmm. in a week break out. Right. You could right. have just like ten great shows mm-hmm. in one week and at, for some reason like the right people saw you two mm-hmm. nights in a row and was like, Ah, that guy's everywhere and then right. and then all of a sudden you're yeah. doing it. That's the Dane Cook story. Thank you. Oh, is it that he uh He came was... from Boston for like two nights and was really? just like got he he wasn't an overnight success. I mean, right? Because he'd been in Boston for a really long time. Forever, but I, and I they've know. sharpened their teeth I'm, really well there. Yes. 
and I'm misremembering an interview that I heard on WTF <laughs> 10 years ago and uh, just reciting it for you now. So. Right, right, right. But yeah, I think it is the pressure of everybody else doing great. And, yeah. the, and just the niceness of being around, you know, people that uh, work. Yeah. And uh, work all the time and know yeah. how hard it is. And you don't have to, like... You don't have to bum them out. You can just say, like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do more of this. Yeah. And they'll say, yes, I am also trying to do more of that, and I'll tell you what I did. How do you think it, like, if we were to try to, like, uh, examine it, like, like, uh, like, cut it in half and just sort of dissect it and figure it out, like, what is it that's making people better other than, like, what we've already said, but, like, like the jokes are better. Like yes. it's like, how are people figuring out that stuff, and what is what is better about the jokes? Well, uh, I don't want to disagree with you. <laughs> I think less time, more to prove is mm-hmm. the solution that you're looking for. That's the math equation. <laughs> you have fewer times on stage, mm-hmm. but you have more to prove. Mm-hmm. You're gonna actually stick to what you wanted to talk about. And then, of course, we know, you and I, know that that's not true. That it's actually, you get more stage time and you're not desperate. And you loosen up and you don't care. Mm -hmm. And then you're doing ten sets a night. So, who cares if this one bombs? I'm doing three more shows. Right. So, the repetition certainly will make it. So, I I completely negated myself. And uh, (laughs) I'm wrong. I'm wrong about what it takes to make the good joke. I don't think there's better... The problem is, is that to say that New York is somehow better than everywhere else. I think it's well, just a magnet. Mean everywhere else, I think it's just... like I think it's the same as you know, charter schools ruining again capitalism. <laughs> charter schools becoming magnets and ruining mm-hmm. like the public education around it. Mm-hmm. That a bunch of smart kids go to that smart oh, I school see. and then they compete mm-hmm. with each other and then that's the whole point of private institutions or mm-hmm. that that's. That's what makes a bunch of people that get 1600s on their SATs because they're actually trying, because they're not down the hall with people who don't care whether right, they got a yeah. D on their math test. So some of it is just like... I feel like a lot of it is about fierce competition and then yeah. a lot of it's about, yeah, if you, you had nowhere else to go, so you yeah. had to come to New York <laughs> and so you've you've leveled up. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you are going to cut out the stuff that you know is probably not as strong. Yeah, you're going to cut because yeah. you don't have the time. Like you get less time when you go to a bigger city, right? Because uh, there are so many more comics, right? And they 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 still want to do a two hour show, you know. So it's yeah. like you get two minutes. <laughs> yeah, this mic, you know, like. <laughs> and to say that jokes are better, I feel like we're we're Maybe nearing I'm... the precipice of like not. Like, no one's going to want Brooklyn comedy in a second. <laughs> there's too many podcasts. Yeah. There's too many TV shows. There's too oh, many right. people going on Conan who we know. Uh-huh. I didn't mean to say Conan specifically. There's too many people going on Late Night who aren't weird. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. and we will get to a point where somebody you see who you're like, why is that funny, <laughs> will suddenly just be the most famous comedian because yeah. they are not doing yeah. the Brooklyn... The, the reason that Brooklyn comedy is, quote, better... Well, I don't mean Brooklyn comedy to, per se. No, I just mean I'm a saying, big city. I just mean a big city. is oh, like, right. but, but I'm saying that when you're talking about the jokes being better, you're talking mm-hmm. about club comics 
knowing how to work a crowd and doing uh, really great, right? Okay, and I'm yeah, I guess down the it street is. from you is is Butterball <laughs> and Joe being completely weird and uh-huh. Dave being weird. Like that's not I don't think that that show specifically down the street from your house uh-huh. is indicative of of the the sort of machine that's that has very true. New York yeah, comedy. yeah, I and think that, I've that, miss somewhat miss explain what I mean because I don't mean to say yeah, that. explain what you mean, please. Because <laughs> well, I take issue with <laughs> New York being better at anything. Well, I don't mean to say that like. Well, the comedy is better here or Boston or Atlanta yeah. than it is in Greenville, South Carolina or mm-hmm. Asheville, North Carolina. Because, for one, there are a lot of great comics in, yeah. in Greenville and Asheville because I know them. And I, right. They are phenomenal. I right. love them. And the people from there probably like them. Right. And, and people them, have gone there and said, like, big names have gone there and said, like, good comedy scene there. Yes. You know, like, I've been there when they've said that and I've since left and heard them still say that. So yeah. that's that's awesome that Greenville and Asheville are getting those Asheville sort of accolades. Asheville is really, really nice. It's and a it's really a nice beautiful scene. place, yeah and, yeah. and it's a great scene. And um, uh, the Greenville scene is, is continued to stay strong. I mean, I helped run an open mic there. And it was like the longest running open mic in South Carolina mm-hmm. for comedy. And um, it's, it's great that, you know, uh, it's a great comedy that's going on there. What I sort of mean is when I got here, I was like, Okay, I'm seeing it's mostly and, and maybe this is unfair, it's mostly been comics at your shows and shows like that. So it's like maybe I shouldn't be comparing myself to <laughs> them. But I just noticed, oh my gosh, like this is really sharp work. Like yes. really well crafted, well delivered. Uh everything is like just up so many notches from where I could envision being or something yeah. like that. And I'm trying to figure out how they got there through all those reps that they've had here. You know, like how how is that happening? So I'm definitely I'm not trying to like do the this region is not as good as that region sort of thing, but I am recognizing it myself. No, but you're impressed like, by New York comedy, right? You are impressed, and I want to be so that then. solid, right? And so I'm wondering if we could dissect like how what is it that happens when people get they move here and they get all these reps uh, that makes them like what are the eureka moments that are making them go oh this is a type of thing i need to do to to like punch up this joke and make it better or stronger yeah i think you're missing the emotional quality of moving to new york to do anything which is that like this is it and uh there's not and that's why everyone's sad in new york is that you came from somewhere shitty and you moved here and you're like this is gonna be great i can't believe people complain about this place and then after like a year of living here you're like I live in the tiniest space I've ever lived. I'm not making it. I'm mm-hmm. not better than anyone. I do not have the special thing that. Right. And you have a choice between either giving up and going home, mm-hmm. or giving up and getting a real job. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't know why you would do that in New York. Like why you wouldn't go for the thing you're passionate about. If you, you know? move to New York. If you yeah. move to New York, you want to be a good doctor, but also in New York, and you want to be the best doctor in New York. Like you have to go for it. You have to do it. Yeah. And uh, so you come to that realization and you decide you're not going to quit no matter how many times you bomb or, mm-hmm. how, how, or how good it's going. You're going to keep getting better. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I think, is the, the thing. Like when I think of people that – when I think of people who really do it, like 
John Fish, who was on our show and just mm-hmm. destroyed, and it seemed like he was just fucking around. Like he was trying new stuff. When I say fucking around, like when I fuck around, <laughs> it's terrible. I, I'm just trying out new premises, yeah, right. which is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sit and go like, all right, I have this premise. It is not ready. I'm going to work on it three or four times before I do it at this place, and I'm going to act like I'm screwing around mm-hmm. and, you know. So John, I think, yeah. has been doing it so long and has been touring so long mm-hmm. that he knows when a bit is actually ready to be told on stage ah, and okay. has spent that much time writing and, and that John spends a lot of time, you know, doing yoga and <laughs> meditating and having a podcast about Spiraling That's what I was just listening to this morning. It's that Spiraling Up is a great podcast about surviving in comedy. Okay. And for me, I think that part of the survival mode isn't a stress but a but an actual uh, self care that you're gonna yeah. you're gonna say I'm going to New York and I'm gonna make it mm-hmm. come hell or high water and that requires more than grit it requires actually going to Whole Foods and buying yeah. food that's not bad for you yeah. and surviving yeah. for a long period of time knowing that you're doing it uh-huh. and working hard every day doing it so. I feel like, and I'm not, I don't want to judge anybody in a different place, but if I was in Cleveland and I was working some other job and mm-hmm. I was trying stand up, mm-hmm. you're still just trying it. Mm. When you make the choice to move to LA or New York or even Chicago or Atlanta mm-hmm. or some bigger venue, mm-hmm. you're not trying it anymore. You're yeah. doing it. Yeah. And once you're doing it, you're focused. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. even if, and everything that I do that's like a break from stand up stresses me out so that's probably the, I mean then that's the biggest problem with comedians is that they never fucking turn it off and that when you're in New York specifically you're walking around saying like I'm a comedian I'm getting on the train to go to my spots because I'm being proactive about uh-huh. the thing and then when you're sitting at home and you're like I'm watching Impractical Jokers for the eighth time today you're like I'm a piece of shit and why would I live here and spend thousands of dollars on rent mm-hmm. and say that I'm doing this thing and then yeah. not do it. So yeah. you have to do it. And stay Versus, inside all day too, you know? Like, oh, yeah. why do that? Why Which do I that? do. I mean, oh, yeah. like this is, that's... That's I'm, a different, that's that's all about self-care. It's like you have to, yes. right, you have to go outside. Yeah. You have to bump into people and it's it's yeah. nicer to live near comics and, mm-hmm. and, and the more comics you can live near and the more times you can schedule talking about comedy or, or mm-hmm. just r- running bits and stuff yeah. with people, that's like table work for mm-hmm. your shows at night. Uh, and the more time you can spend in a coffee shop instead of at home playing yeah. vintage video games like I do, uh, that is... I mean, well, sometimes vintage video games are part of self-care. I'm saying this out loud, yes. This this is bad advice. You need to take care of yourself. You need to sit but in I a bathtub. Say, like, sometimes, like if you do nothing but watch Netflix or play yes. video games, then it's not self-care anymore. It gets no. to like, a dangerous place. But I'm glad we're talking about... Self- yes. yes. I'm glad we're talking about self-care... And mindfulness and all this stuff because this is a world that I'm getting that's getting more and more opened up to me that I've been here mm-hmm. for a little bit and for a year because you need it exactly it's a but it's requirement of, it's living, a, in New York of living in New York City yes. exactly because when I wasn't living here I heard people mention transcendental meditation and mindfulness and self care and I got the idea of self care but. It was m- very much on a micro level right. that I was like caring about it or focusing on or thinking about it at all. Right. But it's like you have to, on a micro level, think about those things here. Right. Because otherwise, you're just you're not gonna function. Yes. And the people like that's why 
Gary Shandling and Jerry Seinfeld did that stuff, you know, like, or do that stuff. Because that's how they got there. Yeah. They were settling their minds and their emotions and their mentality. Like, they're just, like, settling and and Mm -hmm. focusing in a healthier way. And I think about that. There's a Seinfeld interview, I think, in New York Magazine from a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. where he was comparing it to baseball players who have to just mentally prepare themselves Uh all day to do the thing they have to do. <laughs> yeah. Like like athletes specifically is what I think of now more than ever mm-hmm. uh, is that you're training all year long and you can't even really test your training until it's time to play during the season. <laughs> uh-huh. And then during the season, you're mentally preparing and physically preparing yourself to only be on for an hour at a time. Yeah. Like specifically pitchers. Like, yeah. And so you was talking about the way that you just have to mentally prepare yourself to be on stage. So, so all the things that you do all day, like I'm thinking about the act that I'm going to do later, but I'm right. doing this other thing, and that's not a good way to be present. No, and yeah. so you have to be mindful. And uh, and I feel like people with other jobs, you go like, I can't wait to get home and just be <laughs> relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and comedy is this like weird, perverted version of all of that yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Where yeah. you're sitting and being like, I am sitting here and I can feel myself working. And that yeah. is, that's bad. And, and I need to... <laughs> I do need to mentally prepare, and mm-hmm. I do need to worry about the outcomes of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do I need to do also, some of that work. But you need to do that mental work of thinking <laughs> about what you're going to say and thinking mm-hmm. about what if this happens. But you don't need to do the mental work like all the time, right? And that's why we need to turn it off. And why people in other cities, I feel like, if I was in Cleveland, I would be like at my job. And I'd be thinking of jokes while I was at my job, and I'd be like, "I should really be focusing on my job." Yeah. And I have this healthy outlet, but it'll yeah. become, it'll eventually become unhealthy because I won't be doing my work. Right. And then I will go home. I'll do the show, and I'll come home, and then I'll spend a week like not doing any comedy or mm-hmm. any work at my job. Yeah. Which is what would happen. And New York is an every day, every yeah. minute, like. You're thinking about it. You're doing it. You're doing something so you then can get to the place where you're doing it more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's like being an athlete, I think. Yeah. Keeping a maintenance of Absolutely. your body and mind. Yeah. But and still being in the zone yeah. to, to be on for that hour. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of like just being in some sort of control. Mm-hmm. And if you move to a city and you don't have that control and then the like spiraling down that happens of like moving here and like oh this isn't going how i thought it would yes oh i'm worthless you know like those thoughts come in then you you have to be able to like be able to stop and let some of those negative thoughts pass so you can just focus on what you need to focus at that time and then move on to something else yes in a healthy way like that's that's one of the things that like because I also do improv, and there's in stand up and in improv, if you're just doing that and thinking about that 24 7, you're going to get worse at that thing. Right. All of your improv is just going to be. I heard someone else, I'm, I'm cribbing what someone else said. I think it was Lewis Kornfeld at The Magnet who said this, but your, your improv, if all you do is improv, your improv is going to be about improv. Of course. And your stand up is just going to be about what it's like to hang out in the back of the room with other right. stand-ups, which right. the average person can't relate to. Yeah. And so your and comedy get, won't be relatable. Yeah, stand-up's the weirdest, especially in New York, for if you do too many mics, your mind kind of turns to mush. Yep. And then also you're just going for 
you almost become like a shock jock, but for suicide jokes, like you just <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, sharing yeah. the darkest material that mm-hmm. you have and the creepiest like mm-hmm. sex stuff because you've just been surrounded by like thirty dudes who have <laughs> shitty jobs that they don't like and they come there to bitch, and then like five women who are like. I'm uncomfortable here, mm-hmm. and then talking about how uncomfortable it is because men are making it uncomfortable. Right, right, right. And, uh, and then telling jokes about that, and that's not very healthy or relatable. No, yeah. And, uh, and, and you're only making some people in the back of the room laugh. Right. <laughs> and the people in the front who maybe were the paying customers. And you know what's good? You know what's <laughs> broken me out of that is that uh, I am was so overloaded with comedy and became so burnt out at some point that mm-hmm. I just started watching dark things <laughs> yeah, and i think everybody goes through this period of i, I yeah me too yeah recently and it, it happens it happens all the time i mean yeah I, I would say it's like a yearly is I'm, I'm describing seasonal depression uh, <laughs> like i don't like comedy anymore i don't like anything anymore i'm not gonna That's exercise why i just went through it <laughs> yeah, yeah. i was what watching watch? the confession tapes on netflix <laughs> I've practically binge-watched this very depressing show. Yeah. It's compelling, but every... You know how, like, you watch, like, Forensic Files or The First 48, and it's like, oh, this stuff is really sad, but it ends with justice. Sure, there's closure. Confession tapes, on the other hand, (laughs) is what about the times where the cops and the prosecutors got it wrong, and they screwed somebody over? Jeez. And so at the end of every episode, you just go, there's no justice. Right. There's Oh, that person's going to sit in jail because they've used all their appeals and they probably didn't do it. Right. That's the end of every episode. Wow. And I just watched that for like two weeks. Imagine yeah. <laughs> during this time of year when you're not doing what you want to do with right. your life the way you want to do it. But I'm it's a bad you, idea. Continue. Continue until you hit rock bottom. You find that one where you're like... I. I just can't be watching this anymore. I think or I Or it'll it. get funny again. And I'll tell you. Well, there's two things I want to tell you. First is I just saw Patton Oswalt talking about his late wife's book, which mm-hmm. I was reading, Michelle mm-hmm. McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh, okay. And he was discussing it. And he said that she said, and he agrees, that closure is bullshit. There is no closure. And I feel like you and I mm-hmm. uh, were about the same age. We were, mm-hmm. grew up on TV. Mm-hmm. So specifically, sitcoms oh, gosh, are yeah. just all about closure. Yeah, a good ending and, line. And yeah, a good, you and know. Uh, uh, even the one-hour shows, a lot of them. When we were like nine hundred two and zero, had an episode where yeah. I only watched like one and a half episodes or two episodes of nine hundred two and zero. But the one Shannon Doherty's character got breast cancer, and it was all fine by the end of the episode. Oh, of course. Where, of course, in real life, she got breast cancer, and it was months and, and months yeah, of, yeah. like, and it was, hectic life for her. Exactly, and that, and there would be an unease that there mm. is now in new shows <laughs> right, right. where you have to wait until episode 13 for anything to resolve, <laughs> right. and even then, it's sometimes they're like, real bad. Yeah, you better tune in next year. <laughs> like, and just, right. oh, no. And they also yeah. killed off your favorite character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, that kind of... That that's more relevant to now, where mm-hmm. we all understand that closure isn't really a thing. It just is going to be a recurring. Yeah. Whatever your story is, it's going to mm-hmm. keep coming up, and mm-hmm. you can keep dredging it up. Yeah, you have to continuously. It's like forgiveness isn't something that you forgive somebody once for. Sure. Like, and this is like forgiving a parent or something. Right. You forgive them for whatever during your childhood, and then it's fine for the rest of your life. That's right. an active thing you're going to have to come back to several times through the rest of your life, probably. Yeah. Of like having to make a choice when those thoughts come to you and bitterness about your parents come to you where you have to just forgive them 
So Whoa. forgiveness and closure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but seriously, it's like, yeah. that's closure. And like, it's moment by moment through the course of many several years. Yes. And I, I used to think that closure was important to writing a joke about something or mm-hmm. writing a story about something. Mm-hmm. That specifically relationships are the easiest thing to write once you've written the person off. Mm-hmm. And if you're a real asshole, you can just, you can do that to everybody. You can uh-huh. close the door on every person you meet and in uh-huh. fact you do it every day in New York somebody does something stu- somebody opens curry on the the train <laughs> oh, you write that person off and you're like I'm already writing the bit about what this asshole's life is like mm-hmm. you don't know anything about this person you exactly. shut the door you're never going to see them again yep. but you just got all the information you needed you yeah. know and you're and writing the screenplay about yeah. their life already because the door is closed and you yeah. feel that the closure is there that's false that's oh, a yeah. false closure because, of course, mm-hmm. you know that that person, you know, yeah, you don't, yeah, is somebody important, absolutely, to, to someone else, and that happens daily. That's why people think like we're so bitter here is because we start to get bitter because we do that. There's so many opportunities too to many do that people. every single day. Yes. Whereas, like back home, it's like one person who cut you off on the road this week, and then that won't happen again for another week or two. Yeah. But that moment happens twelve times in a day here. Yes, of you course. know, it's like. Oh. Well, yeah, <laughs> you have to. Yeah, so that's. Oh, I was just thinking about. I've just been thinking about closure now for like two days because it's. It's about. I thought that uh, the comics that I really liked mm-hmm. seemed to be so knee jerk mm-hmm. at at judging people on Twitter, and writing a good joke uh, on Twitter on just before Twitter. This was before. Twitter. Oh, I'm okay. Of a specific comic that I'm like, you know, that guy's a real jerk, and I think that's what it takes to write jokes like that. Oh. To be like, I know my opinion of this. I'll give it a chance. This movie, this uh-huh. whatever it is, yeah. this comedian, this person. But as soon as I get a whiff of the thing that I already expect, I'm going to close the door and uh. I'm going to start writing the bit. And that's how you write a good roast joke. I yeah. mean, a roast joke's got to be simple, right? Yeah. you got yeah. two points of information. Yeah. And then just turn a sentence on its head and you, you have a roast joke. I'm done. I'm You're done. Like, yeah. That person is fat, white, bald. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> and you're yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, and it's off to the races of all the things. And it, you yeah, it's very that. like almost binary. Almost, it's like it's not even yeah. binary. It's just like no. you're this one you're thing, this thing, and that's it. Yes, and it's <laughs> a straw man that you get to knock down, right? And so that's that's a that's a good way to write a mm-hmm. large amount of jokes. Mm-hmm. It is not a good way to write anything with depth. Because nothing has <laughs> right. closure. I mean, that, right. there is no if there is no closure, and right. Oprah's been lying this whole time, uh, right? Isn't she uh, in charge of closure? I th- I think uh, she was talking in charge out. of uh, talking it out. Yeah. Yes, like and and I do I do want that like new age Oprah who's like, okay, we got the ball started on talking <laughs> it out, but you know she, she we're gonna us. have to keep. Talk, yeah, I know, right? You're like talking it out. Actually, just, you know, I changed my mind. We have to keep talking. Well, I'm not oh, saying no. her, but anybody. Yeah, yeah anybody, anybody. Um, I mean, it could be uh, Steve Harvey. No, uh, I, I don't know. Wait, I want to go back to the second. And the second I thing I was just thing. about the to ask. The second thing this. was okay. This is the second thing. When you're deep in the depths of watching dark stuff, mm-hmm. um, you will eventually come out on the other side finding it funny. And I just want to tell you a story of the other night, and I, I was talking about this on the show, I think, was I watched Vice Principals, and I mm-hmm. watched some stand-up specials, and I everything I was watching it just wasn't doing it for me. It was mid-December, mm-hmm. and I was preparing for the holidays or something, and I was, I was just really stressed out, and I was like... 
I'm just going to start watching Forensic Files for, for <laughs> yeah. three hours before bed, and I, I don't care. I'm just going to watch like just violent crimes. Uh-huh. And I hadn't laughed the entire day. I was in just such a bad mood. I didn't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And then an episode of Forensic Files came on where a couple had been bludgeoned uh, in bed, Oof. and there's blood everywhere, there's stuff all over the walls, but the husband had like trailed blood all down the, the uh-huh. steps and... And had gone in the kitchen and then eventually died at the foot of the stairs in their home. And the investigators were like, what Why is this? It, did the husband doing? do it? Did it? What happened? And it turned out that this guy had been bludgeoned like 30 times. Mm-hmm. But the lizard part of his brain was still intact. And he got up and did his morning routine of like, he went oh, out and he snap. got the mail. He got the, he got the newspaper and he got, he made himself breakfast. And they did this reenactment of him like, not knowing he had been bludgeoned going yeah. in like pouring cereal. And I could not stop laughing. That is insane I was laughing though. so hard. I was like, this is so <laughs> funny. I, I pray that this is how I go out as a, a bludgeoned person who's still like, well, I gotta go do stand up yeah. today. Like, to just see, like, a, the blood spurted out, like, all over, like, a, a law, a legal pad. And uh, I just think it was so. I mean, I've never laughed. No, I, I was laughing until I was crying. I, there are things when I've. I can't remember anything specific offhand, but there have been moments on that show where, like, something happens, and then I just, like, automatically go to, to a joke. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a dead person. Maybe I shouldn't make this joke about no. them. Listen, this is another piece of advice that I just garnered from the Daily Show book, on Oral History. And it's Stephen Colbert saying, leave your soul at home. You're yeah. there to get something. So they went and interviewed all these people. He's like, then you can edit later. Like, uh-huh. all you did was when you went and did this interview... <laughs> and you left your soul at the door and asked the question that needed to be asked to get the thing on tape. Mm-hmm. That was mean. Like, what you did was mean. <laughs> but you got the thing. Yeah. And then you can go back and you can edit and say, is it ethical to put this on tape? Oh, that's a really good point. And they have a very, they are very, uh, is the word strident? They're mm-hmm. very emphatic mm-hmm. about the idea that the people they talked to wanted to say those things. Mm-hmm. They did not edit around mm-hmm. the interviews to make it seem like they're crazier than they were. Right. Maybe they edited for timing. Yeah. But those people, like when they're interviewing someone they're speaking from, from the, the heart. guns yeah. for tots. Right. You know, that they want to come to mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> middle of the middle of Chicago and start giving kids, kids guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That those people have an agenda and they wanna say it. They wanna be on TV right. saying those things. They so didn't they edit it to make it sound like they said something different than no. what they actually said. No. They sh- clearly showed... That was... What, oh, go finish your point. No, no that, that, that was it. The, the, you leave your soul at the door to get yeah. the bit. You should never be... You should never be self-censoring yourself... Before you've even written it. it. Right. You should sit down and write it and Uh be like, ha. And then you can ask your girlfriend, can I say Mm -hmm. this thing about you on stage or do you want me to say it about someone? Is this no good? And that's actually more dangerous (laughs) for your life than going on stage and testing it because they'll tell you if it's funny or not. You sound like an asshole. You could actually just go, just go do it at a mic first and then bring it back to your girlfriend and guiltily tell her, I I wrote this joke about 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 you. Yeah. As long as it's not um, something personal about their family or something. Right. But. Well, this where they're like, two things about that. One, uh, a smaller discussion is where I think, well, maybe it's not really a smaller discussion, but I think people have been wrong about Daily Show mm-hmm. in the sense that they've learned the wrong lesson from it. 
Because what Daily Show was trying to do and actively trying to do is like get the person to say what they actually want to say, uh-huh. accurately show that on air with their jokes, right? Right. And they're making jokes. Where now you have a lot of people who are trying to emulate that, but they are trying to make points. They are not trying mm-hmm. to make jokes. Mm-hmm. And they, on Twitter at least, will totally misrepresent what somebody said. So they're not uh, as strident true. about daily. They're not as strident about getting it accurate as Daily Show it was. Yes, you know, yeah. and is. And they <clears> yes, <throat> and they were also very particular about being funny first. Yeah, their main goal. Right. And so they really pissed off people on the left. I mean, I remember seeing like this. David Jabberbaum came to our school and like mm-hmm. spoke to us about the Daily Show at Bard, mm-hmm. and uh, a woman stood up and was like. The people at the National Lampoon would have given their lives to stop the war in Vietnam. And he was like, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> How did Animal That's House end up doing it? So, yeah, what are you talking about? What? And then, and then you watch like the, the movie that just came out on Netflix of all these guys just doing coke and acid. And, they're, and right, a, right. Harvard grads who just wanted to have a funny magazine. Like, none right. of them were doing... None of them were... There's never a moment where it shows them protesting. I, right, I, I right. don't remember seeing like a... Right. It well, was it's, it's so stupid. It's all gotten real stupid too because yeah. I, I mean there was someone who I follow Michael Che on Instagram and he posted some critic who will say who pointed out some joke of his. The guy goes on and on about Michael Che and, mm-hmm. and Michael Che made some joke like I don't care about blah blah blah. I don't can't remember what the blah 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 was, but it was some social topic everyone's talking about. Yeah, and he just made a joke. Right? right, like he, like even the part of I don't care was part of the joke. It was part of the setup to his punchline. Without it, he didn't have the punchline. So he was just making a joke. But this person was saying he is not qualified to tell ah. jokes on Weekend Update because he doesn't care about using his platform to make a difference. And da 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 da. Right. He's that's, making jokes. It's a da- never it's a comedy job. show. Yeah. It's weekend update making fun of news items. Right. That's all it is. Right. It's and not the about news is getting gross. Right. So right. So it's just people don't know what comedy is for anymore. Yeah, that's true. And some of them are comics, but it's mostly just like people in the audience who are who are going to comedy to get their confirmation bias or what have you. And I feel like so many people are expecting comedy to be pristine and inoffensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you're saying I completely agree with because if you look at Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or anybody who's doing great comedy, they're saying offensive things. Yeah. You know, and and like whether like maybe you just don't like offensive things. Maybe you're just a prude and you don't want to do offensive things. Then maybe comedy's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> like don't watch comedy if you do, it's like don't watch a gory show, procedural show on CBS if you don't like the sight of blood. Right. <laughs> so don't don't go to comedy if you want it all to be yeah. perfect in your worldview. Yeah. I you know the it's a huge problem now since since Trump yeah. because I have I'm probably more liberal specifically on my Twitter or whatever like I'm more outwardly 
liberal just because I've been pushed there to, by morons, you know, <laughs> morons agreeing with him or morons uh, giving him a chance or mm. morons playing devil's advocate or morons who are, uh, who actually swallowed this thing. Yeah, I kind of am um, in that same boat. Those yeah. are morons. And I, I believe that and I go up on stage and I'm ready to dismiss those people and I, I still want to tell a joke that has tension in it. Yeah. And and that all that's all the jokes are. It's like you, you, you make something tense and then you release it. It's a little magic trick where mm-hmm. the bird is dead and now the bird is alive again. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming. Good night. Yeah. And uh, or the string has been ripped in two, and now it's back to one piece of string again. That's mm-hmm. that's all that jokes should be. Specifically, yeah. jokes with like misdirection in them. Yeah. If we're talking about jokes that are just about being relatable and stuff. That's a different category. But right. I'm talking like jokes. What do I think about this person? What story mm-hmm. are they telling? Ah, they tricked me. I'm back to <laughs> right. laughing at the thing that I even shouldn't even be laughing at because right. I, I have a liberal sensibility. <laughs> right. And my example was like right after the election. I was do I've been doing a joke all the way up to the election, mm-hmm. and I'll just tell you the joke, even okay. though I'm not proud of the joke. <laughs> but the whole point of this is that I made it sound like I agree with Trump, and then I, of course, don't agree with Trump. <laughs> but Trump and uh, the HUD guy Carson had both said mm. that the the that the Muslim way of life was not copacetic with the American way of life, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm sorry, guys, but I just I, frankly I agree uh, because. Um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the pillars of Islam is fasting, mm-hmm. and America is like a fifth meal kind of a place, and like we don't like the fasting, and so you, you got to give credit where credit. Right, right, and right. A dumb, a dumb joke, like a barely but, a tweet. But, I, you know, I, I mean, I chuckled at it. It's, it's funny. Fine. It makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. I said like. I just want you guys to like. I got to. I agree with Trump that the Muslim way of life. Like, like I got to that sentence and mm-hmm. I got booed multiple times. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not gonna do this joke anymore. But like, yeah. usually I would get booed. I'd like put a finger up. Right. I tell the rest of the Hang joke, on. which is actually an understanding of somebody else's religion. Uh huh. And I'm not defending. Like, it is still offensive. It's an offensive <laughs> right. idea. Yeah. I get it. I stopped telling it. But I got into this long conversation with a woman who basically was like, you know, there's already tension in the room from you being a white straight man. Oh, and gosh. I was like, I no. was so pissed. Except she's right. And I edited things and I get up on stage now and I'll open with like, hey guys, I'm uh, white, but I'm, you know, not that kind. And then like, it'll immediate, <laughs> yeah, yeah, immediate yeah. tension, immediate break right, the tension right. of this guy's on our side and we can laugh right, or whatever. Right, right, right. So that... Even if I am going to do an offensive joke later, mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, they're already on my side, and then okay. you can trick them again and be like, "Well, there is this other thing. Like, I, <laughs> what if I didn't vote for Hillary? That would co- that would like yeah. ruffle some feathers first. I and just, then- I just think. Listen, as a black guy from the South, I have gotten a pretty strong sixth sense. Yeah, for the people who are gonna engage in some microaggressions right mm-hmm. um I, I can sense it i don't know if you saw the uh fx uh, people versus oj simpson oh yeah do you remember that scene when they had um <laughs> like Sorry, who did? i was like come on oh yeah yeah i know yeah um yeah, we just discussed that I, I can't watch comedy anymore i'm just laughing at the uh... oh god but um that scene when darden said that he met with Furman and he just got a bad vibe from him do you mm-hmm. remember that scene i don't remember and it, he's but... like there's a scene where he's he's telling him, like, listen, I don't know how to explain it, but just, like, 
trust me, there's a, I get a bad sense of this guy. Yeah. Right? I knew exactly what he was talking about because I have that same sixth sense that he was mm-hmm. referring to. You just pick it up on people. Some people, though, they don't have that sixth sense. They're just seeing a white man, and they're automatically saying, this guy's probably not on our side. Right? Oh, yeah. And that I'm not a, that I do not agree with. I understand like people are touchy about a lot of the subjects, and when somebody who looks like who could work for the Trump administration right. says, right. "Oh, I agree with them," then you maybe are made uneasy. Yeah. But it still seems to me like those people don't understand comedy. Yeah, and <laughs> like, I, I want to say I didn't open with that joke. I know right, that exactly. it was touchy. I knew it was touchy. <laughs> oh and yeah, I'd yeah, wait yeah. Until I get to something and then <clears throat> say something. I agree with this. Like. It is weird to, I open my mouth mm-hmm. and people are like, I assume, have a, a number of us, like, oh, that is a Midwest, probably, like, he's not, he's not speaking, if I had a Southern drawl, uh-huh. I would understand, like, a little bit of prickly, maybe he agrees with this thing, maybe he doesn't. But There's even then. Of, and, and that's all the comedy is, is a set of assumptions that you're breaking yeah, okay, with. Yeah. If you could make a character that did sound like he agreed with everything <laughs> Trump said and then kept, like, uh, I mean, that is that is what Colbert is, right? Colbert is <laughs> yeah, O'Reilly. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is saying, like, you're making a set of assumptions of mm-hmm. uh, that guy's just, ju- like, it's even more meta because mm-hmm. you're saying that guy thinks this. That character thinks this, and then occasionally it would break. Uh-huh. It would break down, or it would be so over the top that you'd uh-huh. be like, "He must be he, joking." Right. And then you find out that like the real Colbert is he's Catholic. He's still liberal. Yeah. He's still, but it's like, what? Which parts does he agree with? And you just, you probably will never know. And that's, and yeah, that's better. I, yeah. Uh, who knows? Because who cares? Because he's doing comedy. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's my thing. I don't know. It's like there's so much stuff that it's like people don't understand the nuances and we can't have discussions on the nuances. Mm-hmm. And it's I understand why that's hard online. Well, I do want to say that you can have discussions. And Depends. that woman that I was speaking <laughs> mm-hmm. to, we did have a discussion where and it was you, and it started with her being extremely angry mm-hmm. and it ended with her being like, I get it and mm-hmm. I know what you're trying to do and mm-hmm. I, I see what you did and I know I get like but eventually we came to an understanding and I mm-hmm. wish I were friends with, you know, I wish I had her <laughs> right, phone yeah, right. number so I could call her and be like, what it's about this true. bit? Yeah, we, like, we're having a discussion of yes, nuances. We're so yeah, discuss- well, you can have, and mm-hmm. I'm, no, but I was just saying that if you wanted to, you can't be mad at somebody. First of all, you can't be mad at a man for being defensive <laughs> ever because uh, it's rude. And uh, if you attack somebody and you aggressively say like what you said was fucked up, Guaranteed, oh, yeah. they're gonna say something back that is defending what of they course, just said. Of course, so, like anyone, or at least just in demeanor, if you yes. just attack them, that's what everyone—not everyone, but that's what so many people are getting wrong online right now. Yeah, is that they think they should just dog the other person. It's like, right. like even as a liberal, I thought that uh, trigger a conservative in two words hashtag that was trending a couple days ago on Twitter. Yeah. Is like, well, that's dumb because now you're just trying to insult them yes. automatically yes. and now you're putting them on a defensive. They're just going to dig their heels in more on a point of view. You want them to change. Yes. So maybe don't go with that approach. And the difference is there's a group of people. I'm not saying this is about conservative or liberal, but there is a group mm-hmm. of people specifically online who when 
you say, hey, that joke offended me, they jump to the First Amendment, uh-huh. which is really stupid because the <laughs> First Amendment guarantees that the government will not step in <laughs> when the two of you are bitching about something mm-hmm. and you don't have consequence-free speech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have the freedom to say what you want and they have the freedom to say something back exactly. and it's important to you wouldn't be a good artist if you didn't listen to somebody else's criticism yeah. but on the other hand if I'm like fuck you I'm gonna keep telling that joke fuck off right. <laughs> there's no like there's no uh, I don't tell the joke anymore so she won but I'm right. just saying like except I told it on a podcast just now so. <laughs> well it, it does help to like be aware of how things are going to come off because I do whenever I do jokes about race there's an uneasiness just because right now people feel kind of bad about how Mm -hmm. people of color have been treated and if it's a room full of white people then there's just like white guilt and they don't want to laugh at the joke but I'm like they want let me just take this opportunity to tell you they want to laugh Sometimes they, they definitely do, and s- but some people don't. You have no. Well, yeah. Well, it depends on where you are, I guess. Mm-hmm. But there's, I, I, I'm just stealing this from Neil Brennan that he was like <laughs> the the opportunity that a black guy uh-huh. presents on stage to a white audience is really powerful because mm-hmm. white people don't have a lot of black friends. <laughs> just in general, we don't yeah. have like if you're not in comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you yeah, have there's a good chance. Yeah. Uh, that, that there's a good chance that you don't speak to a black person on a day-to-day basis, and so if you reveal something that is different or the same, mm-hmm. that you they do shop at Whole mm-hmm. Foods. So, mm-hmm. so now I'm this borderline racist now, but I'm just saying like like but that to is white a, people. to white no. people <laughs> to white people because they don't there is tension. You know, there's no tension for a, a black guy hearing a white guy speak. It's just called the news. Yeah, like, that's it's just like, every we've day. Been, we're used you know, to it. Yeah, we're just, uh, <laughs> I guess these people talk all the time. Uh, but uh, uh, you can feel it in a room. Mm-hmm. If a, a black person with something to say mm-hmm. gets on stage, the the white people turn on. They, they're ready to listen, at least. Maybe they'll yeah. be offended, but I can't think of a thing that... I can't think of a... a in recent memory, in the last five years, mm-hmm. where a black person said something on stage that I saw... That white people were aghast or offended by, they're just they just aren't. They're not. They're they're maybe something sexist. Mm-hmm. I've seen I've definitely seen people say something yeah. sexist or okay. transphobic mm-hmm. or homophobic, but I've never seen them say something that's like this is how black people live, and then white people being like, oh, like it just doesn't happen. There are a few in, in South Carolina who do no, that. Of course. <laughs> I've had I've had arguments. I, I'm with speaking them. as a person who hasn't left Brooklyn in five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you I, you've done a ton of writing as yes. well. Uh, like you've been had stuff in McSweeney's and a ton of other because you mm-hmm. went to Bard College for creative writing, right? In mm-hmm. um, classics. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Ancient Greek. Oh, okay. And just want to. Yeah. Just wanna <laughs> sidebar. And yeah, you can get some copywriting gigs with that. You know, I, I could. Imagine. Yeah. I should. Um, I should. <laughs> the, yeah. Well, but you're getting all these things published, mm-hmm. and you're probably utilize. I imagine utilizing all of the things that we've been discussing about logic and how to approach comedy to less than you'd think. Less than it. Yeah. <laughs> well, sure. that's what I'm wondering about. Like. Because I didn't, I didn't major in in creative writing and, and classic classic writing. Is that right? Is that the way to? No, 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 no. Just ancient Greek. Like classics ancient, oh, means Latin classics. and Greek. Okay, well, that's what I studied in in 
college. And, and by the end of college, I was submitting to McSweeney's. I was submitting uh-huh. to... And I worked in a comedy club before I left school. Okay. We, did, we haven't talked about any of the no, things yeah. that you said that we would talk about. So. I know, because we got in this, I thought, really great discussion about it was good. other things. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so we may just have to have you on a second time yeah, to get more you. into the nitty-gritty of that. But I do, like, for the people who don't have that kind of background, because that's pretty impressive writing background, mm-hmm. um, and they want to get published in McSweeney's and all these different things like you know like because I don't I, I don't I'm not that great of a creative writer I wouldn't have met I don't know like I would be thrilled to get something published how does someone make some good steps forward in getting better at writing and then getting good enough to be published I don't want to be blase <laughs> about this but you just have to keep submitting uh-huh. Specifically, I'll say submitting, and mm-hmm. that'll be your better piece of advice. Uh-huh. McSweeney's is run by one guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's an editor. He's great. He's uh, he's got an eye for what is good, uh-huh. and you can even follow him on Twitter. He's a good example of like how to uh, a person that you could blindly pitch mm-hmm. and get something on because it doesn't pay. Also, right? It's just a and but they don't. They also don't sell ads, so you mm-hmm. can't be mad at them. They're a Patreon subscription <laughs> right. service now, so. Um, if you follow him, he'll tell you there's these really funny tweets that he posts about like, uh, sorry guys, we already have like 18 submissions about Trump's, uh, inauguration speech being about X. Uh And it's like a really specific joke that he saw 18 times in one day. And so for me... The thing that will help you in submitting, the reason I say submit all Mm -hmm. the time, is that um, it's a Mm crapshoot, but Mm -hmm. you will have, you will have, this this is the, the anxiety of submission Mm -hmm. makes you, first of all, proofread everything like to to perfection. (laughs) Uh You're sending it to multiple people before Uh you even, unless it's like a very, oh, this has to go out tomorrow, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll negate that in a second um (laughs) as i do with everything that i've said to you that when you're going to hit send on that pdf or that the body of an email of like this is a specific joke Mm -hmm. you will have gone over it in your head for a couple so first of all you write it Mm -hmm. you write it all out and you don't edit yourself Mm -hmm. and you just don't think about it for two days like i'm talking about a short piece now right like you're just gonna write this i'm writing a funny essay on blank Mm -hmm. and you're gonna write six pages of it and you're gonna do it Mm -hmm. in a day and then you are going to not look at it (laughs) like don't look at it for two days come back to it first of all the first thing you'll see is like this is so sloppy and bad (laughs) you want to read it out loud to yourself Mm -hmm. and record yourself Mm because then you'll hear you're you're saying things that uh, they're so clunky when they're coming out of your mouth they must have been clunky when you wrote it and you're Mm -hmm. trying too hard you will end up cutting three paragraphs from whatever you wrote right because it's just all sloppy and it's Mm -hmm. all repetitive Mm -hmm. then you will look at it again and be like i don't even know if this is funny anymore i don't i don't get it and when once you're at the point where you're like i don't know if this is funny anymore even though you had the inkling of it was funny Mm -hmm. That's when you send it to a friend mm-hmm. and you'll have sent it to a friend knowing that you worked as hard as you mm-hmm. could on it and gave it enough space uh-huh. to breathe that it is good. Mm-hmm. And they will come back uh, because you have imposter syndrome. <laughs> they will come back with, this is great. Like, this is awesome. And I love this and I love that. 
you might cut this, you might move this, and mm-hmm. but that's just one person's opinion. Uh, or they'll tell if you have a real trusted friend, they'll be like, "This sucks," and I've seen it, and that's mm-hmm. also good. That's yeah. also good, and it and it humbles you, and then mm-hmm. you move on to the next thing. Yeah. When that's done, and you've sent it to a couple people that you trust and you know are funny. Then you send it to somebody else or you send it to your agent or you send it to, well, mm-hmm. if you don't have an agent, you can query for an agent, which that, you know, you can Google it, how to do that. <laughs> um, and then they will also give you feedback mm-hmm. or they will say good to go and they will just post it and maybe they'll have a couple edits. And I would just say, uh, I have been told to never listen to editors, uh, which is a funny Another funny story, because the person who said it was, I was working in a bookstore and Paul Oster came uh-huh. in and said, never listen to editors. And it was beautiful. It was a really beautiful moment in my life. Uh, he's wrong. And uh, you should just, this is the you thing. You should listen to it. You will send it. Yes, because, and you should listen to the people you're pitching. Mm-hmm. Because you will pitch something that is so perfect that you've spent so much time on, that you've let breathe, that you know is good. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a big chip on your shoulder. And they'll say... Actually, we're looking for uh, an essay about uh, socks. I know you wrote this essay about video games that you played as a youth, and it was really funny. Uh, and it was really funny, and we trust that you are funny now. But we really need this piece about socks. Okay. It needs to be 600 words and about this specific gold toe sock. I'm just... what Say yes. Uh-huh. Just say yes. You already proved yourself with the piece of writing, and you just say yes, and then you write the socks piece, mm-hmm. and the socks piece sucks, and you send it to your friend, and they're like, why are you writing this? And then you send it to the editor, and they go, this is... Perfect, and then they post it, and it goes viral, and then all of a sudden everyone knows you as that. Hey, Andre, that socks essay, and that only lasts like a week, uh-huh. but now everybody knows you as like a. a first of all, you have the byline, wherever uh-huh. it is, um, and then so that's that's for your resume, and then you also just like you probably in a year, a year will go by, and mm-hmm. you'll look at that socks piece and be like, I diligently worked on that thing, and it was good, yeah, and like. It will not be, unless it's a hot take that they came up with. Mm-hmm. Let me also, that's again, let me negate this. <laughs> if it's about socks, great, innocuous, whatever. Uh huh. If it's about, um, oh, actually, I know you just wrote us like these are the five best video games mm-hmm. for whatever.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want you to write why school shootings happen because of video games. And it's something that you um. don't personally, like, you just do not think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not write that. Okay, do not yeah. write that piece. I'm I'm talking about like when when you're trying to write your when you're trying to put out bullshit and they ask you to do different bullshit. Just do it. But yeah, just do the bullshit. Don't do and like that's the same as working at a when I worked at some e cards. Mm-hmm. I did not. I regret mm-hmm. that I dragged my feet on writing about and you edited the Kardashians there. or yeah. whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I edited the. I was the technically the e cards editor, but everybody at a certain point worked on the article side Mm -hmm. and for me all i wanted to do was write humorous articles and i wrote thing i pitched every day you had to Mm -hmm. pitch and every day i got something rejected and something approved Mm -hmm. and and the more that i got approved the more occasionally i'd sneak something in that i was like oh that was really good like we did a there was one called like an interview with the happiest couple on facebook and it's just about your perceived notions of what happy couples look like on Facebook. And if, so, of course, they're like the most insufferable assholes mm-hmm. with like gobs of money. And like, so, <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do? You know, it's like a normal interviewer. And it was a humor piece that could have been in The New Yorker or McSweeney's mm-hmm. anywhere else. And they accepted it. But I also had to write five other things that were about like the they're putting out a there was one there was one there's one called um 
Burger King wants to scare you with their black buns, <laughs> and it was about the Whopper at Halloween having black, like a food dyed uh-huh. bun, and I had to write about that. I remember that. that. And, oh, I remember that. And it was really silly, mm-hmm. and it's something mm-hmm. that, like, if I were on Twitter right now and bored, and they did that, mm-hmm. I would make ten jokes uh-huh. about the black bun. Mm-hmm. And so, but for some reason, I was like, "But writing this, this is bullshit. I want to write funny stuff." And and now I look back and I was like, "That was fine. I, I was just writing about Burger King, and I'm writing jokes about so Burger King. Why, why, why don't I have such a chip help? on my yeah, shoulder?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. I get that. Well, this serves as a good end of the episode creating something together. We'll call it there. Okay. There it is. Thanks so much good. for doing Thank this. You I for appreciate having it. Me. Yeah. This was a pleasure. Definitely going to have to have him on again to talk about all these things that he's done. But that was a really great chat. I hope you learned something from it. I think he gave really good advice there and is also just an interesting discussion. Lots to navigate nowadays. And I think it is important to navigate through things. I think uh, we are both being very reasonable. Let's get into some plugs here. The next, on a lighter note, at Halyards is going to be next Thursday, March 15th. So if you're in the area or plan to be, check that show out. And it's got a really great lineup. Uh, It's got Mindy Raff, Clark Jones, Kevin McCaffrey, Mike Kaplan's on that show. So definitely check that out if you're going to be in the area. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to be there because uh, this is an an announcement, a big announcement. Justina and I got accepted into the conservatory at the Magnet, and our classes start next Thursday. Very happy about that. So big thank you to Magnet and big apology to Dan Wilber. We're going to be missing a couple of those on a lighter note shows. Dan also has a podcast. It's called Million Dollar Movies, where he watches old movies and talks about them with screenwriter Bob Schneider, who works at the Writers Guild. And if you're wanting to know more about Dan, you can go to his website, danwilber.com. Of course, link in bio. You can also follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Wilber and the show at There It Is Pod. All of the links and all of the bio. And check out thereitispod.com for more. Fun episode next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. <laughs> <laughs>